0: Very welcome to UBfit Talks, our regular podcast where I talk to some of Galway's leading sports people about their careers, their successes, and their challenges along the way. Today I'm talking to Galway hurling star Tony Ogle. Tony played with Galway senior hurlers from 2003 to 2013. Throughout his great Galway career, Tony Ogle has won minor and intermediate national titles. He was on the first ever successful Galway hurling team that won the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship in 2012. He's won National League titles and contested three, including the replay against King Kenny in 2012, all Ireland Senior Hurling Finals. Tony Og was also nominated for three All-Star Awards. He is also an elite performance and well-being coach. I hope you enjoy our chat. You're very welcome, Tony Og. Thank you very much for coming on to UBFIT Talks. I really appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thanks, Owen. Very excited to be with you and, and your guests.
0: Excellent. Well, Tony, like going into sports straight away and jumping right into it. Where else would we start? Is that it's been in your DNA right from the word go. I mean, I remember you well as a a young fella and three abiding memories I have. Number one is when I was walking through the Prairie, the Saltilge GA pitch from Glenard to Rock Barton, heading down to the promenade. And you were there with Lisa and with Susan. And you were playing ball while dad, the great horse Regan, was cutting the, the pitch. Uh, and, and I remember you were only about three or four at the time kicking the ball the second thing I remember is you were the team mascot in the 1992 Tall till when we reached the county final to play Finn. I was captain of the team and you're in front of me in the, in the team photo I'd say you're about eight or nine and the third, one was, the third one was and this is the one that I have to talk to you about is we were playing the John Joyce Sevens at Christmas time in the Prairie and I went for a 50-50 ball with a fella who gave me a shoulder that put me nearly into the middle of Rock Barton? And I look up, and who was it? But the legendary Tony O'Regan with a mischievous smile. It's in your DNA from day one, isn't it, Tony O?
1: Like I think uh some great memories there, donners that you've kind of spiked to me. But um I think it was quite unique, all right, driving down to Treadneedle Road in a, in a red massey Ferguson. There wasn't too many arriving to train and that, but uh Dad certainly had his own way of doing things and he definitely educated a few salt-in so people in different ways. But uh, yeah, we thought it was kind of the norm. But when your, your teammates start looking at you when you're arriving in a tractor, it's something very different <laughs> and unique.
0: <laughs> it, it certainly was. Well, the horse is unique in that form and I think he's handed it down to yourself, Lisa and Susan as well. <laughs> and I would imagine, you know, you, you, the horse has been a major influence on your life, he, you in the context of particularly sport.
1: Yeah, well, like when I think back, uh, the importance of the environment that you have at home and the environment that you're exposed to for just taking a sports context for a moment. Like I got exposed in NUIG first off when I was 5 or 6 years of age to Olympic athletes like Neville Maxwell and Adele Glenn in, in the old air hall and the air bubble in in in, in NUIG. And then you had uh, like intercounty footballers and hurlers from All over the country, like the Shays, Fahys, the Moss Tierneys, Hurling, the Connor Hayes, Niall Mack and Ernie, James O'Connor, Franny Ford. All these guys came through NUIG and I was up in Dangan uh, spending my whole weekends watching camogie, hurling and Gaelic football. And I just got to see what top athletes were doing as regards preparation, how they were practicing, how they were getting themselves up for games, how they were responding to setbacks. Uh, and it was just an amazing journey when you look back on it and, and the exposure I got around that on a repeated basis and going down to Salt Hill at a young age, like the club was just really starting to kick off and, you know, Dad would have been involved with Liam Salmon there in minor and under one county championship winning sides, I think there was four and five in a row done back to back, probably unheard of at the time and, you know, that transferred then into the senior squad and getting to the first kind of county final in 1990 and winning that and just remember great journeys on the road down to Toome, around Connaught heading down for the All-Ireland semi-final down Clarney that time playing Dr. Croaks. We were probably running around the corridors of the hotel donors when you were trying to get sleep, but it was great time and you know, hanging around with the likes of Noel Turl and the Turls, like Christy, part of the 66 team and Liam Salmon coached me those years as well, and, and part of those great Galway teams as well. And you know you just got exposed to great families and the Begleys and the Murrays and, and these people and it was just really really a really fun time to be growing up a, as a young child
0: and all all everyone you mentioned they're all legendary figures eh uh, and, and and locally in in Galway and further afield and you were adept at football as well as hurling but you you focused in on the hurling side of it didn't you Tony Og that's where you really made your name on the sporting field how come hurling versus football
1: yeah, I think I absolutely loved the two of them growing up, Donners, and I felt like I got probably competent at them around 13, 14 years of age where, uh, and this is only off my memory, maybe at the time I think the Galway underage setup as regards Hurling was probably a bit ahead of the football. Like I can remember getting called up to the Galway under 14s for trials and making the Tony Forrestal and playing an All-Ireland tournament and playing an Ireland final in front of I think three or 4,000 at the time because we were playing before Cork and Wexford in in, in an under-21 All-Ireland semi final down in uh, Waterford. And at the time, I can't remember any trials for the Galway under-14 football happening that time. And maybe a couple of years after that, the Ted Webb started happening, but I got into the Galway under-16s and won an All-Ireland under-16 medal. And then I was into the Galway minors after that and played my first All-Ireland minor final at 16 in Crow Park. So... I think the progression and the pathway there for a county player at them age groups is probably a bit more advanced in the county regarding hurling. And once I got that exposure to them All-Ireland Finals and in part of those occasions, it was kind of like, geez, uh, this is this really quick pathway for me to play inter-county and play at a really high level. And uh, I think that's what kind of propelled it for me and made the decision for me that, you know, you playing an All-Ireland Final at 16 before the Senior Final, it was kind of like, Jesus, this number. is the choice for me and uh, I, I found I was just really, really enjoying the hurling at a high level uh, and it was kind of happening very naturally for me in a number of ways.
0: And talking about that, and, and it's a question I always like to ask, especially a fellow like you that has played at the top level. Uh, at county level, I'm going to ask you this, the hardest man you ever marked at county level, but also at Galway level in training, who were the who were
1: the individuals you found most hardest to mark and, and why? Yeah, um, listen, I was lucky to be in an era where I kind of marked Kevin Brodick in training, Joe Canning in training, Eugene Clunan in training, Damien Hayes in training, David Burke, Cyril and We had some great, great forwards over the, the decade I was there. So every night you needed to be on and really need to be training at a really high level. And they all brought different different challenges for you and I think that exposure and training to those kind of forward talents helps you to survive in Crow Park, helps you to survive in Thurlis to an extent and uh, you know I definitely had difficult days Mark and Larry Corbett, I had difficult days Mark and Henry Shefflin at different times, they all brought something different Uh, but those days then I definitely got on top of them and, and managed them and they were very rewarding as well but You know, probably Lars springs to mind from a pace point of view that in a split second, he could just ghost in and, you know, create a goal scoring chance or a point from nothing. Henry was different. He had a different brain for the game. He was able to ghost into very smart places in around the goals and you had to be super alert for him and he know how to use his body and create a scoring chance from nothing. So... You know, they all brought different elements to it. But, you know, the biggest thing I think was concentration around those guys that if you switched off for a second, they could expose you. So you just really needed massive concentration levels for the full game.
0: And like you mentioned there, you talk about serious matches and serious players. You played in two All-Ireland Finals, 0-5 against Cork. And you also played against Kilkenny Kenny in 0-12 and the replay. And I a question I, I always love to know in relation to that not irrespective of the result you're going into an all ireland final there's 82000 people watching you there's millions watching on tv worldwide you're in your 20s early 20s for the first one mid to late 20s for the second how how do you feel what are your emotions is it nerves is it confidence is it exhilaration
1: yeah, I think when I think back to my first one in '05, like I'm 21 years of age, just finished college, start my first apprenticeship with DHK and as a chartered accountant and you know, your first week in work, all the staff are extremely excited because you have a, an inter-county hurler playing an all Ireland Final on Sunday and it's, you're kind of riding that wave a small bit, there's a lot of excitement going into it. You don't know what to expect really as a 21-year-old, you're kind of excited to be getting tickets for an all Ireland Final, getting free gear. Get measured for a suit, people asking about the banquet and the homecoming and there's probably a lot of excitement but a lot of distractions there too in hindsight that you probably could have dealt be- better with in your first final and I think uh, I had to wait seven years again Donners to get back to that point so you're a lot wiser as regards what are the things I need to maybe do better regards focusing in on the week of a game and getting those basics right and maybe ignoring some of the distractions that can be there the whole county obviously is on a wave of motion as well like you can just see that gr- gradually growing over the summer where you know going into a semi-final there's very low expectation maybe of beating a Kenny or beating a Cork and then you do that and all of a sudden you're in all Ireland final and everyone's a hurling supporter for that month everyone wants tickets and everyone wants to talk about the game and, and your build up all summer has been quite quiet where it's maybe probably only your, your close circle that asks you about the game or asks you about tickets and now all of a sudden you know, your best friend is uh, the person in work that you have started for the, for the first week, and they're maybe asking you for two tickets. Or people you went to college, come out of the woodwork all of a sudden, and might text you for a couple of tickets. And all of a sudden, there's someone in the club that maybe is struggling to get a ticket and ask you on the Thursday or Friday. So, it can be hard letting those people down, and it can kind of take your attention away from what you need to do as a player and prepared. And then, you know, I think I got smarter on that match week going into my second final, and. You know, you have to focus on what's important that, you know, you can't please everyone and you have to get your own side of the fence right, too. And that's, that's one thing, putting, putting on your uh, performance
0: coach uh, hat as you do for, for a career off the pitch. And it, it, it's a question some people ask me is, you know, they feel a bit kind of nervous going in front of a big crowd, be it a sports person going into a big match, be it a person going into an interview or be it a person making a presentation. You know, what, what would you say to an individual like that who came to you and asked you for a little bit of advice?
1: The first thing, uh, Donners, is that nerves are 100% natural going into a situation where a success or failure can happen. And uh, there's no sports person, there's no leader, there's no musician or artist or whatever that doesn't feel nerves at some point in the lead up into these occasions. So it's very normal and natural body response to a situation that we don't have control over. So once we kind of accept that and don't try to suppress it and actually expressing it to people close to us is a great way to help, you know, share some of that emotion and distill it and break it down a small bit. So I'd be absolutely accepting nerves are there. And then it's how do we actually frame that and say, you know, this is a thing that can actually help me to focus better and do the things that I need to do to prepare properly for it. It can also help my mind to, generate things like glucose, which help me to make quicker decisions. It can help my body to produce adrenaline, which can help me to react quicker and be more focused and anticipate the things that I need to do well in those moments. So when I can use these body sensations, these reactions to uh, recognize that I'm going into my performance state and getting myself ready for the occasion and the challenge, you know, that can be a great thing to progress yourself towards using these in a positive way and using that energy in a positive way. And then it's also looking at, well, what are the things I need to do well to perform in this situation? If it's a job interview, what are the four or five things I can do leading into it that would help me to perform in that moment? If it's a sports context, what are the four or five things I need to do this week that would generate confidence for me in that performance? And once I get clear in those things and I start putting my energy into them, and put my attention into them, it's amazing that that kind of specific things can give me the confidence to perform in those moments then when they come up.
0: Excellent. And, and but bringing that around to a sporting context and kind of bringing it a, a full circle back to the sports side of things. I mean, you look, for example, as in football terms, you look at, say, Dublin and the gap between themselves and, and other counties and Limerick seem to be edging ahead, or at least there is a gap there in relation to themselves and a few other, uh, of the other Hurling counties. What would you be saying to, if you were in, in, not necessarily in charge of Galway in the context of football or Hurling, but involved in the context of the performance coaching side of it, what would you be saying to players from those camps, be it the Galway, Hurling or football, to kind of not fear those individuals on the other Limerick or Dublin teams, uh, but to actually... Respect, obviously, but to take them on and hopefully beat them. What, what would you be saying to them?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's not what we really say. I think it, we need to get a, a consistent program in our teams that develops, you know, all aspects of their game. So, you know, the S&C develops the physical side of it with the, the technical and the tactical. And I think what I see Limerick and Dublin doing particularly well the last number of seasons is the mental component of sport they really are putting a focus program on it, both individually and collectively as a team. You know, I heard Johnny Cooper speaking this year, and he said 30% of the Dublin football team's time is put into the mental side of performance. So every single day, players, both individually and collectively, are doing X, Y, and Z around their mental game to make sure that they're prepared mentally for occasions like All-Ireland Finals. And that starts at the start of the year. It starts at the start of the week. And it's part of their training program and their training curriculum. So you know, I think if you're looking at yourself from any other county, what are you doing mentally every single day to develop yourself? So, what are you doing around goal setting? Are you setting key, you know, performance indicators for your trainer on the mental side? Do you work on training your concentration? Do you work on training your confidence? Do you work on uh, dealing with nerves and dealing with pressure? Do you work on building? Uh, reset routines into your day to recover, uh, to focus, you know, so all these aspects I think the top athletes are really prioritizing now and they're making them part of their their DNA and their makeup. And I, I think the best teams have really highlighted that and gone after
0: it. That's a, a phenomenal percentage.
1: Did you say 30%? 30 of 30% day? of their time, yeah. 30% of their time in their preparation, the Dublin footballers are putting into their their preparation on the mental side of it.
0: Absolutely phenomenal. And that that's a phenomenal statistic. I didn't know that myself. And in relation to, say, for example, we're in a situation now where uh, lads can't train, girls can train, can't train, be it for camogie, hockey, basketball, it doesn't make a difference. What would you be saying to these lads and ladies in order to keep them focused and keep them positive for the next few weeks particularly, and probably, possibly for the next few months, for some of the sports?
1: Yeah, I think, like what we can understand is that normally in a team sport, we have a game every every two weeks for an hour uh, and that hasn't happened. So maybe there isn't time to reflect on what we need to work on or what we need to improve on. So it's about sitting down and identifying that, you know, your preparation is a huge part of getting better at the game. So what could you prepare on from a physical point of view as an athlete at the moment? And, you know, whether that's speed, strength, mobility, your fitness, You know, I think there's aspects there that we can still develop as athletes. uh, uh, hugely. you know, from a nutrition point of view, I doubt there's any athlete or person in the world that that does 100% nailed down either. So what could I do better around my breakfast, my lunch, my dinner, the snacks that I'm having? How am I hydrating on a daily basis? I think you can build really good habits around that as well, Donners, from a sleep point of view. Athletes, you know, would prioritize eight to 10 hours sleep a day. You know for anyone in the, the the population I think that's a really important thing that you know what's my sleep routine what do I do a half an hour before sleep what time do I consistently go to bed at and what time do I consistently get up at so it's like we have to prepare ourselves to go to sleep we have to prepare ourselves to get up what do we do on and do I go to my phone or do I actually you know breathe a couple of day breaths and, and calm and compose myself do I start to maybe visualize how I want my day to run, do I visualize the type of person I'd like to be today and do I start to put that into my my, my, my psychological framework and makeup? Um, so there's lots of little elements that we can do as athletes on a daily basis to get better. How do I plan my days at the moment or am I very reactive and I just say oh I feel like eating this or I feel like training today or I don't feel like training today? And, you know, it's about planning out your days and planning out your hours and and putting a good emphasis on how do I develop my technical skills at the moment? How do I develop my physical skills? How do I develop my tactical skills and maybe study the game if I'm a forward or a back? What are the best players doing on and off the ball and what could I learn from them? What are some of the characteristics of the best players on and off the ball and what could I develop and, and learn from them? So, you know, I think there's a library there to work on if we really go after it. I was just about to say, in the
0: context you use the word uh, preparedness. So effectively, what you'd be saying to to athletes, irrespective of what code that they're in, they should be preparing for the next stage. I.e., when things open up a bit, they should be doing a lot of prep work, be it mentally, be it physically, be it nutritional-wise. Would that be accurate? Is that really
1: what? Yeah, you're Yeah, yeah. I think like if you you really love the game, you know, it shouldn't really correspond to having to play a game to love the game. I think you should love the preparation and the process side of it. So, you know, I've been around a lot of great athletes and they actually love getting better at flexibility. They love exploring nutrition to see what foods work. They love actually studying footage of the game and seeing what they can develop from last year and what skills they need to improve on, be it striking or kicking or hand passing or catching and using this time really wisely to develop those traits and breaking it down. And uh, from the mental side of it, you know, what can I do to, you know, train my attention and working on things like meditation what can I use to build my concentration in the moment so our mind wanders every four or five seconds what are the little cues I can use in training to bring my concentration back to the moment and just executing the skill in front of my face you know using visualization to build in new skills into my mind so there's loads of little aspects we can still develop without playing a game at all
0: and actually, that, that actually brings it around to the full circle in relation to back to yourself as well in the context. There was a great uh, book that I read, and, um, and particularly the article relevant to yourself, and it was by Damien Lawler, When the World Stops Watching. And you, you contributed your own article to it. And it's a fascinating read about when elite athletes retire or are omitted from a squad and how, it affect, how the effect it has on the individual and their personal careers and state of mind. From reading the article, 2008 was a, a difficult year for yourself. Uh, you, were, you weren't involved with the Galway squad, uh, but it was also a turning point where you revisited your own personal goals on and off the pitch. What, 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 so there's a lot of similarities to what you're saying there and your own career in 2008.
1: Yeah, and I think in any career any walk of life, Donners, I don't think it's a straight line. If you want to be successful at business, there's going to be you know serious challenges for you at some point in relationships we have in life you know people die relationships fall away there's going to be challenges and struggles there or health at different times may suffer and sport is no different it's not a straight line to success there's going to be management that maybe don't select you maybe you lose a bit of form maybe you get an injury uh, maybe you're not part of the squad at all and it's right recognizing that these challenges will come at different times and You have probably one or two choices in that situation. You go down the route of blaming the person that didn't select you or blaming the training that you you weren't given or blame something outside yourself. Or you can actually take control and say, you know, I wasn't good enough at X, Y and Z at that moment in time. And when I lost my position in the squad in 2008, I had to recognise that my form wasn't at the level it was in the previous couple of years. Uh, for whatever reason was down to some wor- circumstances like uh, I was doing professional exams as a chartered accountant they took a huge amount of focus and energy from me so I wasn't able to train at the same level and I only recognize that now going back that I was kind of tired going to training and, and that led me to getting a lot of injuries and maybe not producing the form that I thought I was capable of. Uh, and also the training methods that I was maybe using I probably overtrained at different times and that it didn't allow me to you know express myself well enough on the training ground to get selected for matches so there was reasons there for not performing as well as I could and it was probably a lot down to me not speaking up around training that was suit me and not suit me and maybe overtraining myself at different times away from training and also not resting enough after heavy bouts of stress from exams and trying to work on top of that so it's about trying to recognize those things and saying what could i have done differently myself and taking responsibility for some of these and just making changes going forward that were going to help me to perform at my best in my career and my sport
0: it's it's amazing you put your finger on two words there that i'm always whenever i'm coaching a team uh, or individuals honesty being honest with yourself and honesty to the team and also rest two vital components of, of of moving yourself forward and get and get and get, you need to be honest in relation to and evaluate your own performance but you also need to make sure you mentioned earlier about you want you need to love the game you need to want to go training and you know rest is equally important as training itself.
1: Yeah people forget that donors if you want to be a high performer in Anton your recovery away from it is so important. If you're a person that's working 40 or 50 hours a week in order to allow yourself to do that your, your hobbies and your relationships outside of that and how you recover you know, a work career is going to go on for 30 or 40 years. So you've got to recover really well away from work in your weekends and your evenings to allow yourself to, you know, develop consistent performance at that level. And it's the same in sports. You know, if you look at people playing at the highest level, they might only train for an hour a day. So the 15 hours outside of that, they're hydrating really well. They're eating really well. They're resting and recovering. So when they come back to the next session, they're attacking it with a, with a hunger and an enthusiasm. So the recovery aspect of that and how you spend your downtime is a huge part of that. And, you know, it's really important what we spend our time on and who we spend it with.
0: And actually, a lot of what we're talking about today, we, we've, we've talked obviously about your own sporting career. But now that you've retired from county Hurling, You've gone into the performance coaching side of it. You are an, you are an accountant. You're a qualified chartered accountant, isn't that correct, Tony Oak? But you've you've um, switched codes from your accountancy into performance coaching. What, what exactly does this entail?
1: Yeah, I, I was ten years an accountant, uh, Donners, and around uh, thirty, I made the change into performance coach, and I did a masters in sports and exercise psychology, and I did a diploma in life and, and executive coach, and so. I suppose a week to week for me, it can be working with a corporate team around team effectiveness and team development. It can be working on areas of leadership. Uh, Other corporates, it might be working on the area of health and well-being and and delivering talks and programs for them. Uh, In a sports setting, then obviously the sports psychology side of it, you're working on the mental skills to help people, I suppose optimize their life away from sport to make sure that they're organizing things to allow them to peak for training and for matches uh, helping them to de-stress from study and sport and and work Um, but you're also helping them to develop the mental skills to perform and cope under pressure so my my week is varied, but it's very interesting that I'm in sports for a part of it I'm working with business teams for part of it and I'm working with the general population then on a one-to-one basis or, or, or on a programme basis. So, um, you know, I, I love my work because it's very varied. I'm meeting, you know, Anthony from 13 or 14 year olds up to the 50 or 60 year old in, in business. And uh, it's great to be able to, you know, influence them and impact them in different ways.
0: And actually, I know this is probably an unusual question. You're going to look at me with wide eyes, but in the context of, is there similarities? I mean, you're, you're an accountant initially, is there a similarity between accountancy and sports psychology, i.e. that there's a lot of analysis to be done, there's an assessment of the individual or the group? Would there be a correlation between both, and hence the reason that it was just a natural extension of, of where you are at from the, the accountancy side of things?
1: Yeah, I think um, I probably had a very analytical mind from a very young age, like just observation of, of sports people and trying to learn from what they were doing and what were they practicing and how did they practice. And I think in school, I I always like getting on well at school and I like learning new things. And I was very curious. And uh, I always found myself reading and listening to things and just trying to understand things to a a different level. Um, So I think when I'm with with a client now, I was trying to understand what their need is and and what do they need in this moment and what they need over the course of a season and trying to help them around that. So if it's confidence. You know, what could I share with them around an article or video or what conversation could we have around that? What tool could I give them around that and seeing does it work with them and embedding that and integrating it with them into their life? Um, so I think that analytical side of uh, accountancy and life has helped me to you know, bring that into psychology and just understand the need of people and how I could maybe assess it and integrate a tool with them that could help them around that and, and is it working or is it not working? And if not, then we kind of go back and say, well, what do you need next? And and could we work on that? And how do we develop that with you? So, you know, I definitely think there is that similarity among the professions, donors, Yeah,
0: absolutely. And after working with an an individual, be it a group, a sporting group, a corporate group, or just individuals themselves, and you've been with them for a while and worked with them, what gives you the most satisfaction when you've, when you've, let's say completed, if that's the right word, it might be the wrong word, but when you've you're, you're, you're completed your project with the individual or the, uh, the, the individual body, what gives you uh, the most satisfaction when you've left them?
1: Yeah, it's probably the three, three or four things I'd love to see is uh, people having a real clarity of what they're about, what they stand for, what their purpose is and what they're trying to achieve. And then in you know, second piece for me then is having the confidence to go and, and chase that dream or chase that ambition uh, and working on, I suppose, the the underconfidence that's there maybe in a team or an individual and seeing them actually, you know, releasing some of those built-up fears that they have and actually expressing their full training and their full capability, whether that's presenting to their team, whether that's playing in Co Park in front of 82,500 and a half thousand people, it's having that confidence in themselves that. They have the work done, they have the qualities and the skills within themselves and it's just releasing some of that fear that maybe sabotages them and and going and expressing that and having, I suppose, the and composure and pressure situations to deal with the challenges in a work context or in a relationship context or in a sports context. So, you know, clarity, confidence and composure, I think, are are really important things that I like to develop in individuals and in in teams as well.
0: I'll tell you, Tony, it sounds to me like you've had a a phenomenal career on the pitch. You're having a great career off the pitch and an awfully interesting career because you're meeting so much diverse individuals and diverse groups. But in in, in coming to a conclusion, I read an article that you wrote uh, for RTE.ie there, and it was the three steps to training attention on more positive matters. And I think in the current climate, uh, I'd love if you just uh, gave us a little brief Caricature of those three steps. Uh, There was unplugged to recharge, growing our attention muscle, attitude of appreciation and gratitude. Just very briefly, each of those steps, if you would, Tonio, just to.
1: Yeah, like I think naturally we have an inbuilt mechanism, uh, donors where we have a kind of a negativity bias where we maybe see the, the negative in things and have a negative outlook. So it's really important that we start to grow some of the positive things in ourselves and in others. And we can only do that by actually practicing what I done well today, what I done well in that situation and having that inner dialogue with ourselves and writing it down and reflecting on it, whether that's in 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 a sports setting or a business setting or a relationship setting. And you start to look for those things and have that lens, well, then you're going to spot the positive things in other people. And that increases the positive emotion in yourself it builds your confidence, but also when you're reflecting it back and recognizing in people around you and saying, "Geez, I love the way you do that. I love the way you move there. I love the way you spoke to that person." You're you're building up the confidence in that person as well, and you're building a closer relationship with them. So, you know, I always found praise and recognition of what others do well has really been a great thing for me as a sports person and a coach that did that. Me, you know, I felt on cloud nine. I think as people, it's something we can train ourselves to sharpen the lens towards that most, more, more often. And I think optimism then is another skill that we can absolutely train, that we have a, a positive expectation for the future. We have ex- a positive expectation of other people and, and we see the good in others. And when we start to practice that and see, you know, every situation there is positives over even when you lose a match, even you lose a client, you know, there is learnings there. There's things that you've done well in it and there's things you can improve on. And if we can see every scenario as just a learning moment rather than something that's you know, the end or, or, or final, well then every, every opportunity that comes in life to us will be you know, more rewarding for us. Um, so I think those things are really important that we kind of look for the optimis- optimism and the, and the positive expectancy in, in people and in others. And then we kind of seek out a valuable lesson from each experience, be it good and a learning moment. And then the third part then is just looking at well, what's the next task I can accomplish now going forward that I'm excited about? And if that opportunity came again, you know, what would I do differently and how would I try to do it better? And uh, you know, when we bring that, I think people kind of notice that positive mood in us, that positive energy that you know, just because we had one failure it doesn't define us, and whether that's in sport or business or in life, that will, there will be another opportunity that will come to be successful in that domain or, or that field. And uh, I, I really believe that and I hold that belief to be true. And uh, gratitude is another really important thing, donors. that you know Martin Seligman in positive psychology would say that they study people over six months and if people are practicing gratitude every single day and that's just a, a thankfulness and appreciation for the people you have in your life, you know, the meal you had this morning, the environment you're around you, the resources that you have, you know, that increases that positive mood and that positive expectation in ourselves. And uh, if you, you practice three things every day that you're thankful for, even after six months, your, your happiness scale is still rising. It doesn't think that lessens from practicing gratitude. So, you know, I think it's a, a key skill right now at this moment in time with the 12 months that we've had. And, you know, if we can open our lens up to these positive expectations and towards gratitude, we start to notice a lot more in the world and we start to put our our lens and our telescope on it, we will see those things coming into our life on a lot more consistent basis and those types of people and those conversations will come into our life on a lot more consistent basis as well. So I think, uh, you know, from science, they tell us that positive emotion can affect people within eight feet of us. Uh, So... If Donners is coming into a class with a, a positive mood and a positive energy, he's having a, a massive influence on the people around him and they're going to infect the people that they come in contact with throughout that day. So, you know, emotional contagion, I think they call it from a psychology point of view, but it's, it's an important thing to be aware of what energy am I bring into situations and, and interactions. And, you know, we all have the ability to influence the mood and the energy of people we come in contact with and people that are, are, are experiencing us.
0: Well, all I can say, Tony Og, you've been a fantastic player on the pitch. You've The insight you've given us here into the performance, coaching, and all that aspects in relation to honesty and energy and positiveness, I can see why you're successful off the pitch as well. And all I can say in conclusion is, thank you so much for coming on board to have a chat with UBFIT Talks and myself here this afternoon. I know that a lot of people are going to get plenty of energy and positiveness from all your all your chat today and i really appreciate it the only thing i would say to you tony old right my shoulder hasn't improved (laughs) drastically right since that one-on-one that you gave me that nearly ended me up in Rock Martin park all those years ago right but for, for coming on today you're well forgiven so yeah thank you you're great i really appreciate it and mind yourself and i'll chat to you very soon
1: Thanks Donners and like you were always a great role model for me as a young man coming up how you you know included everyone in the dressing room and you brought a great sense of fun and humour to us. and you know I remember on the field you were quite competitive too and you would get those tackles in good and early so that's why I probably had to nail you because you would have got to me first
0: Thanks a million you're great
1: Thank you Donners
0: Talk to you (laughs) soon